Hello, and welcome to True Horrors with Meg and Rachel. Every week we discuss a horror film and the true stories that inspired, influenced, or bear striking resemblance to them. Be warned for spoilers and adult deeds. I'm Rachel. And I'm Meg. And this is True Horrors. So, it is your week, and it is House on Haunted Hill, the 1999 version. Yes. A movie which checks so many of my boxes. Just... So many of them. When the intro was going, I was like, oh yeah, this is a Rachel movie. The aesthetic <laughs> is so strong in this intro. Like like last week we watched Poltergeist and with Poltergeist, it was like, oh, we're going to have a little bit of a scene from it and then we're going to do a little bit of like a shot of the town. And this was one of those musics playing over and just showing creepy images. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we're choosing an aesthetic. Yes, which, to be fair, I watched this movie when I for the first time when I was fairly young. Like, I don't think it at a super inappropriate age. I mean, when you're the youngest of four, you're going to see stuff that you probably shouldn't. But I don't think it was super inappropriate when I first saw it. So this might have created some of my aesthetic. Oh, my God. I mean, there were there are other points throughout the movie that I was just like or other character moments where I was mm-hmm. like, Wow. Like when you start off this movie and, you know, you're trying to figure out the relationships of the characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's like in her giant bathtub and deciding she wants her party (laughs) to be like she hears that story about how horrible of a place this is. And she's like, God, (laughs) you know what we should do? Have my party there. (laughs) Okay, I would not do that. I am not here to fuck with ghosts like Ghosts deserve my respect, if only because they can fuck my shit up. Like, no, no, I like the. Well, actually, I don't think that is the very first scene. I think the very first scene is the flashback to mm -hmm. where everything is going to hell, and that is so disturbing. And I don't really want to linger on that too much because I know the second half of this is going to be just all about that in real life. So we can just go over. It was awful. It was a living nightmare. If there are ghosts, it was the kind of place that is the place that would create them like angry, angry spirits. Um, I would have punched him in the face if he did the elevator thing to me. And I get that. I get that he's like a famous roller coaster man and they're a reporter and a cameraman and also spike from Buffy who is um, like, they're there, they know they're going to get scared. Mm-hmm. But one thing I did think that that beginning part did so well is it set me up to be on edge. Yep. I was on edge for the whole movie because it kept subverting my expectations. Yes. That the the elevator, the fact that the track looking broken was part of the ride. And also mm-hmm. I was like, despite how this man might turn out in this movie, he's clearly very good at what he does. So. Right. I would have thought it'd be very interesting to live in an alternate universe where like you could go to his theme parks. I never would Mm -hmm. because I'm not interested in that. But I have, but like he clearly knows what terrifies people like making a roller coaster Mm -hmm. where you actually have like dummies and people like getting hurt. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, but that's all part of it. Like it's an experience more than just a ride. I know so many people that would pay for that. Yes. I feel like my sister would do that. Um, but yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that it subverts your expectations because that's one of the boxes that this checks. It's the last one that I wrote, but I want to see how many of them you're going to get. I've got one, two, three, four, five things written down. I want to see throughout the show how if many it, of those. If it checks out. your box. Yeah. Um, you will probably also think of some that I didn't think of. 
Well, if we're going to count these as strangers becoming a team. Um, oh, but, I didn't think about that. But one. I don't know if they, I don't know if they count because they all seem to have such like low level contempt for each other. Yeah. Um, but I, when she walked in in that dress, mm-hmm. like I just thought her character, not as murderous, but was very your aesthetic. How their relationship yeah. was so interesting. Like I was just like, they both seem to want to murder each other, but it also seems kind of fun like it's like like it's it's like I couldn't figure out if they just had like a weird like Adam's family-esque thing going on mm-hmm. or if they really like how much of it they really hated each other because it was like right at one point she references that they did a like son of Sam party and I'm like so they're right. both into it it's not like one of them is doing this to each other she wanted her party here she just didn't want these people invited which neither right. did he really that was the ghosts mm-hmm. um but when she walks in in that dress, I thought that was um, a really, a really good moment to just set us up for what this yeah. was going to be. Um, I might be jumping ahead of things you wanted to say, but my favorite line in this entire movie that I laughed out loud mm-hmm. was by the guy who owns the house when he, mm-hmm. when he, he's talking about his father and they're like, I thought you said that it was an accident. He goes, I lied. The house is alive. We're all going to die. <laughs> It was my favorite moment. I was like, I want that on a shirt. (laughs) Because he was so twitchy. I'm like, Uh and that's the thing about being set on edge because I couldn't tell what was fake and what was a ghost. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell in the beginning. And I was like, is he part of it? Is he pretending to be scared? Did he lure these people there? Like that's what I really liked about this. Not to say I didn't go in with a ton of expectations, but- Mm -hmm. I really thought overall, I thought the movie was really good, but I also really liked that it wasn't super predictable, that it was actually such like a mess at times of like whose motivation was going where that you were like, I don't even know who's actually alive and who's dead. Like can show of hands right now, show of hands. Are you actually dead? Are you faking it? (laughs) The amount of people who fake their death in this movie again, I'm jumping ahead, but I loved when he said that. And it was just like, no, um, He's a really great character. Most of his lines are pretty iconic. Yes. Um, Just drinking the whole time. Yep. And I love how mad he is that there's no more scotch. Like, that's that's how I would be as well. Like, especially if the house is trying to murder you. But also, it's funny that you mention um, that it's kind of hard to follow at times. Because I asked you earlier which version you watched because I wanted to make sure it was the same one that I had. It was just rented from Amazon, which is not the full movie. Because like I said, I owned this movie as I say a child, but like older child. And I had watched it again more recently. And the movie is a little bit longer. And some of the scenes are a little bit out of order. And you see some things multiple times. So like the scene where Fomp, uh, where the where Famke Jansen comes down the stairs, I think that's one of those scenes that you see twice. Like you'll see something, for like five seconds, and then it will play that five seconds again. And like it starts small. It starts with like that, and then like at one point you see a scene out of context, and then the next scene or a couple of scenes later you see the preceding scene, and it's really disorienting. Growing up, because we had it on VHS, we thought there was something wrong with the tape. But I watched it a few years ago and 
I streamed it and the same thing happened. And I was like, oh my God, this was intentional. It's like told in a really weird way to really fuck with your head the way the house is fucking with the heads of all the people inside of it. And I was like, about halfway through the movie when none of that had happened, I was starting to get real mad. And I was real distracted by the fact that that wasn't happening. Um, so if you ever watch this movie, make sure you get the 99 minute version and not the 93 minute version, because it's a much better experience that way. There is six minutes of them doing that. Just a full six minutes of them. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. dedication. That's some serious dedication. Yeah. Um, I also loved how everyone freaked out so quickly, which again, Mm -hmm. we're going based off mine. If you, um, when I, my comments are obviously based on the shorter version. So if you're right, but like, they all freaked out so quickly. And I thought that was so weird because the invitation says you're going to spend the night in a haunted house. And the second something even remotely frightening happened, like it's shutting <laughs> down, they just lost their shit. And I was just like, you agreed to come here to try to win a million dollars. Like I would have thought that people started freaking out the second something like murderous happened. But right. as soon as like, they're like, we have to get out of here. I'm like, you agreed to spend 20, what is happening right now? Like, yeah. I just thought everyone freaked out so quickly. Also, I will say this didn't for me do a great job of making me super care. We talked about that during Poltergeist. Right. I, the movie was fun, but I wasn't super invested in any of them. The only character that I really was was Tay Diggs's character. Right. And at the end, I was like, really? You're the only one I cared about. Are you about to die? Um, yeah. But then he doesn't. Because I was like, no, like, I really don't have an emotional attachment to that girl. Like, if they mm-hmm. were trying to make me like the couple, the crazy couple is so much more interesting, if right. nothing else. Um. But I did, yeah, I did at the end go, you're the, I wrote in big letters, which I'm showing her my notes right now. I wrote, he was the one person I wanted to live. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I did want the guy to live who kept drinking and making funny comments, but I was like, I don't Mm -hmm. think he's going to. I was like, I'm not going to put my, my energy behind him. Um, Right. What about the little coffins? so extra I wrote so extra (laughs) um and again I'm just writing that I like that they don't know what's real and Mm -hmm. for 0.5 seconds I thought they were gonna stay together price is like price that's his name he's like well we should all stay in one room and then it's like four seconds later they're like yeah or not and I'm like why can't you just stay in the same damn room? I hate all of you. Like, and mm-hmm. if you want to go look for that girl who's clearly dead, you could just all go. Exactly. Also, it was absolutely insane. Like, it was insane to me that when they thought, when he, when he freaked out because he thought one of them killed his wife mm-hmm. and they locked him in that machine, I was like, hold mm-hmm. up a second. Are you guys the good guys anymore? Because yeah. he just freaked, he freaked out in a way that I think is totally normal. Like he right. thinks one of you murdered his wife and whatever their relationship was, he clearly didn't want her dead. And right. instead of being like tying him to a chair or like anything like that, you put him in something that we've already referenced was used to try. That was the, the phrase was make something that would make a sane man crazy would make a crazy man sane. Mm -hmm. So you have put him in there and then you're like, and just to add insult to injury, we're not all going to stay together, which I was like, okay, so you're just leaving this doctor guy who you don't realize is a dick alone. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. that's not good. Like, there was just some decision-making I could not get behind in this movie. Yeah, the thing about this movie is that, like, there are some things that it does very well, but the storytelling is a little choppy. Um, and that's not something that, I mean, the thing that I mentioned before, that does not fix it. Like, it's just, or that's not even an excuse for why the storytelling is just choppy. There are just, like, a lot of things they didn't seem to think about. Like the fact that Sarah reveals her true identity to Tay Diggs, who doesn't hear her. And then for the rest of the movie, everybody knows her as Sarah. She she revealed her identity to no one. And yet somehow they all know who she is. Isn't he yelling Sarah when she's like following ghost him and she gets pulled into the vat of blood? Isn't he yelling? No, she's yelling his name and he just goes, what are you doing? Oh, he does. she doesn't yell Sarah. Okay. But. The girl, the other girl, like the TV star who dies before she even reveals that is calling her Sarah at the end of the movie, like when she's part of the house, which maybe I guess we could, because like the house knows that her name is Sarah now because she said it, but I don't know. That's kind of a stretch. Yeah, I was, um, I wrote, I wrote in my notes, let's split up more. And then I wrote... Um, why is he torturing him? But then I figured out why. And then I, I almost lost my shit when I thought he was actually about to like molest her dead body. I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like that doesn't even fit in with the aesthetic of this movie. And then I was like, oh, but this does. Yeah. And then like, so that was our first not real death. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she murders her lover, which I was like, I don't get how you don't see that coming. Right. And then um, when Sarah freaks out and shoots him, I was like, I felt really bad. I was like, girl, that's not justified. Like, I know you're freaked out, but like, it makes me feel really sad because he's actually at this point not done anything. Right. Like, and then he was like, boom, not dead. And I was like, mm-hmm. what even is this? What? Who even are these people? <laughs> like, who are these people? I don't even know. <laughs> like, their relationship was so weird. Mm-hmm. Uh And then, like, it's so weird because then he's like, I'm going to kill you. And then, like, when the house is about to murder her, he's like, get up and run. I'm like, do you want her dead or not? Pick a lane, Vincent Price. I know the guy's name is Stephen Price, but he's (laughs) very clearly supposed to be Vincent Price. Um, (laughs) So that's what I called him throughout the whole movie. I was more like, I felt like the movie needed to be more, like, into that because I kind of felt like it was, like, part of their relationship like I think if they'd made it that way where it's like but they decided she was murder she was truly trying to kill him but if it had been like kind of more of a thing where it's like they're just completely like they're just weird kind of like sex freaks who like want to like you know pretend to kill each other and one-up each other and like this is like their foreplay kind of thing I would have been like you're all you're both the worst but it would have at least been a little bit more understandable that like he wasn't really gonna kill her that it's like part of their thing to be violent towards each other and because yeah I mean but it did also make me more sympathetic to him as a character because Mm -hmm. I'm like oh so at the end of the day you really don't want to kill her like right she really wants to kill you but you really don't want to kill her um but yeah she kept not standing up like there was a lot of I also wrote why does everyone keep looking at it and not moving which I guess is the fight (laughs) flight and fight response but I'm still like run yeah for real like I mean yeah it looks super great don't want to be a part of it 
I'm going to run. But like mm-hmm. he even saved Sarah at the end and she shot him like seven times. So I'm yeah. like, are you really, were you really a good guy this whole time? Because like, like mm-hmm. a weirdo, but a good guy, because like, it's not just that she's like an innocent person. She shot him. Yes. Like, and she didn't she know- emptied the gun into him. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. I love that they got the money though at the end because mm-hmm. they did survive till daylight. And so yep, I was like, sure that's, did. that's pretty cool. I don't know how you're going to explain this to anyone. No. And also how are they going to get down? How are they going to get down? Because the thing is, if the house opens up, that means the house did it, which means it's trying to lure them back inside. So yeah, I was happy they got the money at the end mm-hmm. um, because they did survive. And I just want to also say, that that Sweet Dreams cover was so good. So super good. Um, and I forgot that they did that. Um, and it is the only music, like the only like song in the entire film. Um, what else? Um, what else did you have? What else? Okay. So. So just as far as boxes that this checks off, it is primarily a story about revenge. Yes. First and foremost, first box. Um, and then you've touched on it, which is, it's also about a woman using men for personal gain. Um, marrying rich, using another man for personal gain. It's great. I The thing is, I have very mixed feelings about her character. I like what she's about. I don't like that she's willing to murder so many people. Yeah, I also, and again, we don't really know what their life is like, but it seems Mm -hmm. like he wasn't around a lot. And so I'm like, it doesn't seem like he really like, like you could have really lived separately. Like, yeah, he he didn't want to divorce you for whatever reason, but you could have just like chilled, been like estranged or like he's always like out making terrifying roller coasters and you're taking Mm -hmm. baths and very deep baths. Um. God, that bath looks so deep. Like that's one of the reasons I don't take mm-hmm. baths is because I want to be fully submerged. And when I'm not, I'm just like, this is this is untenable. Like, yeah, because part s- of you is cold. Yes, and it's so terrible. like I was like, if I had that kind of bathtub, mm-hmm. I could definitely see watching TV. But I'm still stuck on her character was kind of thrown off for me because I'm like, you just heard the story I just heard, and you want to go have your party there, and that freaks yes. me out. Like, yes, um, but no, there really wasn't. Other than the guy who was drinking in Tay Diggs, I wasn't really mm-hmm. like super attached. And that character was because he was played by Tay Diggs, who I like. Yeah, obviously. Um, obviously. But, um, and I liked him because he was like cracking wise and stuff, even though I knew he was not long for this world. But he did save them at the end, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, you have to wonder like where they go from there. Because even if they get down, but then I think they were invited by ghosts. Yeah. So maybe no one will know. So maybe investigators will go to the house and, you know, whatever happens there, maybe it'll have nothing to do with the two of them because no one knows they went. Right. Except the drivers. Yeah, that's true. Unless they just pick them up. Yeah. What happened to the drivers? Because, like, they all have to get out. And then, like, the drivers don't drive away. Those cars just keep sitting there. Like, I don't know why they still keep sitting there, but I know I keep wanting to call him Justin, but I don't think that's his name. <laughs> the guy who, um, I don't know the guy who his family owned the place. He said they were coming mm-hmm. back at nine 30. 
Oh, okay. So I don't know if they'll come back and they'll get a ladder and then I don't know what they'll say. If they'll say like, mm-hmm. oh, she went crazy or he went crazy or whatever. I think it'd be a dick move if they said Price went crazy because he saved her mm-hmm. life at the end. Right. Um. But... Yeah, I mean, I a part of me wondered at one point if it was going to be nothing to do with the house. Yeah. Like, is this going to be one of those movies where you think things are haunted, but then it's like, no, it was just, like, people. Yeah. Um, but I like that it was the house. Mm-hmm. And I like that... Um, one thing I did think was funny was that they look at that picture, they realize that the doctor doesn't belong, mm-hmm. but it's never addressed again. And it's never addressed again because he's murdered, but... It's also like, are you not concerned then as far as like, he's the odd person out? Right. Yeah. They are just, yeah, just just a lot of things like that in this movie. It was still but really fun. Okay. Still really fun. Any more uh, thoughts? What was on, Elton's on your list or was that everything? Oh, the only other thing is that it deals with the mistreatment of vulnerable populations. That's five boxes. Um, okay. Scale of one to 10, 10 being might as well just, wait. And now I'm trying to remember. I think, was it 10 is surviving and one is, I don't remember people. We're going to say 10 is, it's it's on the scale of likelihood you're going to die. One is you're strolling out of there with the money and 10 is you might as well just lay down and die. Well, I'm not related to any of those people. So, because that's how, that's also one of the reasons Tay Diggs gets out because he's like, I'm adopted. So like the house kind of gives up for a minute. Like- so I think you're only okay, in danger of the house if you're related to those people, uh, let, to the let's staff. Take, let's take that element out. More okay. like you're in that situation without that element where it's like you're told if you stay in this house till sun comes up, it's a million dollars and everything about the house is the same and everything about everyone else is the same except for the element where the house picked you. I just don't know. I would not wander off on my own. So I think that I've got that in my favor and I'd always have someone around with me and I would immediately start gathering weapons and tools. So I don't know, maybe a five. I'd give myself I don't a, want six, to be... a six or seven. Yeah. Just because. I just pick five because it was right in the middle. Yeah. I'd give myself a six or seven just because I'd stay in groups. I wouldn't wander off, which is what gets, what's her name killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really everyone else dies from like lack of running away or from being Mm -hmm. part of a murderous plot. Right. So yeah, I'd say I'm comfortable with a six. It's hard to know when it's a house that's trying to kill you because it really is because I mean, we keep saying they wander off a lot, which they do, but in the basement, the house separates them. Right. And so there's nothing, you know, by myself, I don't know how I'd act. Like, right. I would just be like, I do think, though, there is a lot of just staying and looking around. Like, if I had my camera like that girl did and I saw what she saw, I would not stand there and continue to film. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I would Get be away from so Jeffrey Combs, doctor. Like, there is just, I'm getting, I'm already getting comfy, folks, because it's Rachel's okay. week. Um, but I just don't, I don't know. I mean, because it also doesn't seem like there's a ton of skill involved with surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So it's hard to tell. Um, but I like to think that, um, like I'll give myself a six. Cool. I don't want you to tell me a story. 
I'm sorry. I have to. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a bummer. It's a real fucking bummer. Possibly the worst story I've ever heard in my life. So, you know, maybe start drinking now because I certainly had to drink while researching it. Um, I will say you do know some about something about it already. I'm going to talk about the Willowbrook State School. Oh, okay. That's, so, what, that's yeah, you, where you're going with this? Yes. So the thing about this is there, there are so many directions I could have gone because it's just about, you know, the way we used to institutionalize people in some of the quote unquote treatments we used to use. Um, but there, there are a lot of stories where that's going to come up and I'm sure we're going to watch them and I'm probably going to be the one to talk about it. Cause I really like to bum people out. Um, I'm a lot of fun at parties, you guys. Um, but I decided to go with the Willowbrook state school because it's one of the most infamous, um, in our country at least. And it was also really precedent setting as far as the deinstitutionalization movement went. It was really the first one, um, that people knew about was the first one to enact deinstitutionalization, which then, you know, went on for a long time. And I don't, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that part because that's a whole other can of worms that we just don't have time for. I'm going to talk about everything that came before that. So the Willowbrook State School is on Staten Island, New York. It was built between 1938 to 1942. It was briefly like an army hospital or maybe just like a place for wounded veterans. I'm not sure. I didn't look too much into that. Um, But in 1947, they decided to start using it for folks with developmental and intellectual disabilities. Um, Because this was a time when if you gave birth to a child who had a disability, the doctors would be like, all right, we're going to take your kid. We're going to put him in an institution. You go try again. Um, So it's just not a great start. But when they started, they only had 20 residents and It was built for a total capacity of about 4,000 people, a capacity which it reached in 1955. Uh, Yeah. So another thing about that time is that, you know, psychology still is very new. Um, And misdiagnosing is still really common, but it was way more common then. I don't think we had quite as many diagnoses for various developmental disabilities. So a lot of people got misdiagnosed and they were sent there. Um, So that's part of the reason it was overcrowded. Um, It reached its peak capacity in 1969 with 6,200 people. Mm. It's like a a town. Yes, like a town. Um, And the patient to staff ratio was around 50 to one. Yeah, it's, it's, It's going to get worse, Meg. I just want you to know. Um, So in 1965, then Senator Robert Kennedy visited and he was talking about the underfunding of mental institutions. And I'm going to quote from him. Um, I don't know what speech it was. The site I pulled the quote from didn't mention, but all of this stuff will be sourced on social media. Um, He said, I visited state institutions for, 
and I'm going to rephrase what he called it because we've changed the way we talk about it uh, for individuals with developmental disabilities. And I think particularly at Willowbrook, we have a situation that borders on a snake pit, but nothing really changed. He also, his plan was like, he wanted to enact this five-year plan to increase funding. And I think probably deinstitutionalize. Didn't Um, he die in that space of time? He, yes, he did. He died in 1968 while running for president. Um, so, in 1971, uh, a journalist for a local paper, uh, Staten Island Advance, visited Willowbrook um, and wrote an article called Inside the Cages, which, again, will be sourced. Um, and she detailed that the residents were kind of, it was overcrowded. They had nothing to do. Uh there was inadequate clothing, so a lot of them just didn't wear any clothing. Um, and she told the story of someone that she called Alan. She didn't use any real names. He was kept in isolation for about two years because he was considered unmanageable. Um, he bit someone, so they were like, let's put him in isolation. A similar thing happened with Patty. Again, not her real name. Um, she was put in isolation for two years. And at one point the psychologist asked her family, it was like, you know what we could do So we could pull all her teeth. So then we can put her back in. <gasps> I don't think they're going to call it general population. I know that's a prison term, but I'm going to use this. That's what I'm going to call mm-hmm. it. And the family was like, yeah, do that. It never happened. So she just stayed in isolation. So this is one of those situations where I'm like, I don't know which is worse. Yeah. Like they're both really terrible. Um, and then she also told the story of one boy who needed some sort of eye operation, but they didn't have any operating rooms. So he went blind because they just didn't have the treatment at that point. She also said like a lot of the employees said the doctors wouldn't even actually examine the children themselves. They had the orderlies do it and the doctors would kind of stand back because they were kept in really unsanitary conditions because keeping in mind, you know, if you have a group of kids with developmental disabilities, it's a little bit harder to toilet train them. And if you have a staff, a patient to staff ratio of 50 to one, you're not going to have time to teach them that. And they did not get changed. So again, she reported that nobody really took notice, but then in 1972, Geraldo Rivera breaks onto the scene and he very wisely brings cameras. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the reasons that nobody noticed, first of all, Robert Kennedy didn't seem to expand on it. And this other one was just in writing, which is horrible, but it's not the same as seeing it. And I haven't decided yet if I want to put the original expose up because I have found it on YouTube, but I'm not entirely sure it's supposed to be there. But it's very upsetting. And I'm again, I'm just going to quote. It's called uh, Willowbrook, The Last Disgrace, if you want to look it up. And Geraldo opens by saying, this is what it looked like. This is what it sounded like. But how can I tell you about the way it smelled? It smelled of filth. It smelled of disease. And it smelled of death. Again, like, honestly, I have watched it. And it was not quite as um, graphic as I really thought it was going to be, which I was very grateful for because I feel like 
you know, at least Geraldo preserved a little bit of the resident's dignity by mm-hmm. not like showing it in super graphic detail. But that's when everybody kind of took notice. You could actually see the fact that these kids did not have clothing, that they were not bathed adequately, that they didn't have anything to do. I'm like, when I like, I mean nothing. They literally sat all day. Um, they didn't have personal items, just nothing. The thing is, he um, came back either like a day or a week or something later for like his official visit. So he originally was like, I'm going to come visit. And then like showed up early, um, snuck in using a key that someone who eventually got fired had given him and recorded all this. And he came back later and didn't see any of that. Um, You know, the kids were clean. The staff was attentive. They all seemed happy. One of the questions that kind of like you have to ask is like, how did nobody know about this, Um, including the parents? So like when parents would come back, they wouldn't see stuff like this Mm -hmm. Um, because there were a bunch of different. I mean, it was built for 4000 people. It was a really big place. Geraldo's report, he spends a lot of time focusing on the fact that, you know, a lot of these kids didn't know how to feed themselves, so they had to be spoon fed. I believe they were all fed in less than two minutes each. <gasps> like, yeah. And it was like mush is what they were eating. Like you, they show it. And then he like cuts to like an interview with a doctor and he was like, what, you know, what, what could happen with that? And the doctor's like, you could get pneumonia. Like you could get that food in your lungs and you could get pneumonia, which was also a huge problem. Like because of the unsanitary conditions, there was, There were measles outbreaks, flu outbreaks, and hepatitis outbreaks regularly. Um, So a couple months after this report, all the parents got together and filed a lawsuit, and they decided to deinstitutionalize the kids, try to get them in more community-based programs, in group homes. Um, I don't have when the original date, I think it was 1981 or 82, that they wanted this to be done by. Willowbrook closed in 1987. And just because I want to continue bumming you out, Barbara Bloom, who is one of the people tasked with moving those residents to group homes in the community, was met with a whole bunch of hostility. People threw eggs at her. At one point, someone broke her nose. Just so, you know, we don't want them in this institution, but we also don't want them in our communities. And like I said, this set the precedent for deinstitutionalization across just not just institutions for folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities, but folks with like schizophrenia and stuff like that, Um, which, again, is a whole other can of worms I'm not touching. But do you want to know something, Meg? Do I, Rachel? No, you don't. You don't want to know, but I'm going to tell you because none of that is the worst part. There's a worst part. There's, There's a worst part, which comes in the form of Dr. Saul Krugman, who was very influential in creating vaccines for hepatitis, measles, no, and rubella. No, no, don't you say it. You want to guess how don't he did it? Don't say it. Don't say he experimented on the children. Oh, he sure did. Oh. He synthesized hepatitis vaccines from the fecal matter of infected residents and put it in the food of other residents. <gasps> He's dead now. He died in 1995 and he went to his grave. No, he was. The thing is, um, this was not 
exposed in Geraldo's report. They didn't know about that. The medical community is the one who found out about this and started to report it. And a lot of people were like, a lot of people think he's a hero because he did end up creating vaccines. But I didn't, this was in like 1955 or something like that. I didn't write a year, but like long before the institutional review board existed, he went to his grave saying that what he did was ethical because he saved everyone's lives. And one of his arguments is, I mean, the infection rate was like 90% anyway. They were probably going to get hepatitis anyway. So at least they were somewhere where a doctor could look after them. This is Um, like the Thanos school of morality here. Yes, it is. It's like, if you see a child climbing on something that they're probably going to fall off of and you go and push them over because they're probably going to fall anyway, you still push the child down and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. I actually, one of the things that I will source will link to a paper that he wrote, which I didn't, when I started reading it, I didn't realize it was by him. And then I, once I realized it was like, no, I'm not reading this because, you know, we didn't let Hitler defend his actions. Like some things are just not defensible. So there was a real Jeffrey Combs doctor, which is the actor who plays the doctor in the movie at Willowbrook State School. I almost think like because I I, at least that kind of puts it more into focus because I had no idea when I was watching the opening of that movie. I was like, why is he doing this? Mm -hmm. I was like, is this just like he is just a sadist and like likes to do that yeah well they don't make it super clear in the movie I think I don't know some of them are supposed to be treatments I don't know it's not super clear because I couldn't couldn't tell if he was and it was never really revealed I was like are you Mm -hmm. experimenting on them are these quote-unquote treatments for the time or are you just a sadist and no one cares about these people like I was just trying to figure that out um but no I mean that's awful and that's the thing that's one of those things that like People think they sound really smart being like, he did what he had to do. And, you know, uh-huh. you know, and it's like, no, mm-hmm. like everything of our morality right now. It's like, no, like you, you shouldn't do that. Like I, I, I laugh because I don't really know how to more say you shouldn't infect helpless children with diseases for mm-hmm. science. Like there's a reason we say you can't do that now. Like if you're going to do an experiment on any person they need to know what you're doing to them right and like there are people who will agree you know right. and we can get into the fact that sometimes that's for money or sometimes you know whatever it is but there are people who for the good of science and you know what I will say this if you're someone who's listening who's saying that it was the right thing go google right now and sign up for a medical trial yeah because because go try some kind of medication that has not been tested that could have any kind of side effects because that's basically what you're saying is that Mm -hmm. like that that's like a noble or a good thing to experiment on you know and you'd be knowing so it'd be even better Mm -hmm. like that's sort of the the thing that I get it's a lot of times that argument comes I'm like so what medical trials have you signed up for right do you not want medicine that you don't know what it's going to do in your body even Mm -hmm. knowingly or, or just like just like sitting across the table from a guy and he tells me that. I'm like, that's good to know because I put some disease in your coffee. <laughs> I'm doing an experiment right now. And it's good to know that's how you think. It's like that scene in Aaron Brockovich where none of them drink the water mm-hmm. when she says it's from. And it's like, but okay, that was a bummer. Yep. Um, um, 
I want to close out with a quote. Um, so hold on. Jeffrey D. Guerin, uh, went Harvard. He wrote an article for the Harvard school paper. Um, he spent a summer working at Willowbrook state school because what do they call it? Like a residential aid. He showed up for the interview, got hired without an interview and spent the summer working there. And he gets back and he wrote a little bit about his, his experience. Again, it'll be sourced. The language is not the best, but it was 1973 when he wrote it. Um, and I, I personally think when you're quoting something, you can't sanitize it for now anyway. Yeah. So like, just do it. What I'm going to quote isn't, it's just some other things in there. It's like, we don't use that terminology anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, it's hard to read. Um, but he talks about his relationship with a resident named Sally. Um, and he like describes all of these conditions that I've told you about. And he says, for all of this, there is no excuse, but to my friend, Sally, I must apologize for the way she is forced to live. I apologize because there is no excuse for the way she is forced to live. Bummer. But I also have like kind of a, a happy thing, um, which I, I got real bummed out and I stopped writing stuff down. So I can't remember the guy's name at the moment, but he's featured in Geraldo's expose. He is a 21 year old guy with cerebral palsy, which sometimes comes with developmental delays. Most of the time it doesn't. So he was one of the people who was able to talk to him and be like, this is what's going on. Like we're being horrifically abused, all this. He got out and he worked as like, man, I can't remember what he did. He was some sort of public official and he spent the rest of his career working to help folks with disabilities. Um, he worked until retirement. I don't know what he's doing now. Cause everything I read was at least 10 years old, but some people did get out and they, had actual lives well thank you rachel for bumming us all out but it is important to know our history it is important to know and that um you know it's hard because we always we try to do at the end like oh what was worse or what you i don't think we did that for poltergeist but Mm -hmm. what is worse or what and it's like that's kind of hard to compare because are you saying what's worse is the being haunted (laughs) Or the actual, like, when I say it, I'm not comparing the conditions of the institutions in the fictional and real world. But I would say that, like, a night in a haunted house seems, like, preferable to having to live in any of these conditions. So, Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Thank you guys for sticking with us another week. And to just keep the bummer train and sort of bummer train moving next week we'll be doing one of my favorite movies silence of the lambs yes bummer train the movie not so well i guess sort of but like the um the roots i will be talking about that is so until next time i'm meg and i'm rachel and this was true horrors (laughs) 